Traders Point, how are we doing? Hey, so good to be with you. Everyone at the campuses, everyone watching online, welcome. So glad that you're with us for part of your weekend as we continue in our series, What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now. And here's the short answer to that. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus and the hope and the help that can only come from him. Like we know as followers of Jesus that he is the only one that can save anyone. So me and you, what we're doing here is removing all the unnecessary barriers so people can hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus and be drawn to him so that lives can be changed in his name. Amen. And so what we've been doing in this series is saying we know we can't do that massive work alone and we don't have to. That it is not only that we have this good, amazing God, but he did not leave us. He's actually empowered us with his very spirit, the spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit. And what we've been doing is just studying the kind of fruit that this spirit, his spirit produces in our lives. And here's what the fruit of the spirit is. The fruit of the spirit is God producing his divine character within us. That we believe that God did not leave us and that he's actually now empowered us with his very spirit to begin to cultivate and to produce his divine character within us. And the way that, that God talks about this, he uses the word fruit. Fruit. And I think he's very particular with this. And how we produce this fruit is very different. You will not hear this message from any other worldview, any other religion. It is specific to Christianity, how we get this fruit. Look at Jesus' words in, in John 15. He lays this out for us. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is counter to everything that we've grown up with. That the idea is that God is going to cultivate this. God is going to produce this. It's not something that we can do in our own power. When I think about this idea of, of, of abiding, of remaining in Jesus, that he is the vine, that we are the branches, like it makes me see our lives, our, our lives, who we are, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls, as farmland, if you will. And because of sin, because of our rebellion, because of our want to do what we want to do and us distancing God, a lot of us are not farmable to the things of God. God can't produce what he wants to produce, what only his Holy Spirit can. But as we follow Jesus, it's this process of surrendering more and more of that farmland more of our hearts, more of our, our minds, more of our souls to him so that he can produce what only he can produce. Because here's the truth. There is a certain fruit that only grows in a Holy Spirit-filled climate, right? We know that to be true of some fruit here on earth. There's some places where this kind of fruit won't grow. And what we've been looking at in this series, in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, there's a fruit that is completely supernatural. It will not be found here. We cannot muster up the strength. We cannot produce it on our own. But it is only when God produces it within us. And it is a beautiful 
fruit. It is a perfect fruit. Look at this in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just a quick check. Does anybody think our world needs this? If you had to list some of the things that our world needs, what the world needs now, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Yeah, this is exactly what our world needs. And this is exactly what our God supplies. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this goodness, this goodness of God. And what we've been saying is that this is, this is one piece of fruit and God is perfectly all of these things. Like when we talk about a list like this, you've seen some of the words, you're familiar with them. So part of you is like, I think I'm kind of loving or I know somebody that's pretty patient. But the idea here is that this is so much bigger than just regular, ordinary, run of the day, dime of a dozen, love and joy. No, this is the kind of love that knows no bounds. This is an unbreakable love, unconditional love that chases people down. This is not just any peace. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. This is not joy in the sense of happiness. It's not circumstantial. There is nothing that can take this joy. That God is producing his divine character through these characteristics in me and you. And then we get to this one, this goodness, goodness. And to get to understand what we're talking about here with goodness, we have to get to a, this place of just, just trying to identify a little bit about what this word is. It's such a big word. But the goodness that, that Paul's talking about here is to be a person of integrity. To be a person of integrity. Now that word, um, a way that really helped me understand what that means, integrity, is if you think about the word uh, integer which is a math term, it just means a whole number, not a fractured, not a fraction. And that's the same idea that a person of integrity is the same person in public and in private. They're the same person in this circle as they are in that circle. And what God's saying is I want you to be people of integrity, that I want you to be the same. What you see is what you get, that type of person. And some people we know like that is like, hey, what you see is what you get but that's not a great thing, right? We don't need to see all that you got because it's not what we want. So the other side of this to the goodness of God is, is not just that we have integrity, it's to be pure in heart. It's to do good because it's the right thing to do. This is important. We don't do good in fear of punishment. We don't do good because we think that's what we should do. We don't do good to fit in. We don't do good so that we can have something to post about on social media. It's not for the photo op. But the goodness of God is seen when we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And it is always the right time to do the right thing. That this is what Paul is getting to when he talks about the goodness of God. And remember, we've been saying that this is God's divine character that he is sharing with us. So if we want to have that goodness in our lives, if we want God to produce that within us, we have to come face to face with this truth and to believe it and live like it's true. God is good. We will never have the goodness of God. We won't want it unless we believe that God is good. 
And God is so good, and I didn't know this, but this actually came with a phrase. It was like a callback situation that I didn't know about, right? This is a phrase people say. And I started coming to church, and I'm walking through the doors. And maybe you guys know this, but I would walk in, and someone would say, God is good. And you would say, and then they would say all the time, and you would say, I didn't know that. So I would be walking in, and people would be like, God is good. I'd be like, I think so. God is good. And I got to get a little bit more. I was like, yes, he is. Then somebody pulled me aside and was like, no, no, no. Here's what you, they say, God is good. You say all the time, all the time. I was like, okay, that would have been great to know. Um, the worst, though, was Easter. One of my first Easter's around here, there's another saying that goes with Easter, and it's, he is risen. Didn't know that one either. So I'm walking in this place, and everyone's saying, it's like, he is risen. I was like, yes, he is. He is risen. I was like, you preach, man. You got some energy today. And then someone pulled me aside and was like, no, this is a saying. So they say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. I was like, someone needs to write these down in a book and give them to me before I look like a fool. But the, the truth of it, the Bible states that, that God is good. Look at this. In Psalm 119, it says, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. So it's not just that God does good things, but it's that he is a good God. He knows no other way to be. That he is a God of integrity, so he's the same. And if he was good then, then he's good today and he'll be good tomorrow. But do you believe that? Do you believe that he's a good God? Because before we can move into what does it look like to, to have that, to produce that kind of goodness in our lives, we have to come face to face with that truth that, that our God is good and that all good things come from God. God is good and all good things come from God. Look at what it says in James. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So we want to talk about the goodness of God. we got to know he's a good God. And we got to know that every good thing that we see, have, or will have one day, None of it got to us without first going through the hands of God. That it came from heaven to us. Man, he's a good God. But one of the biggest kind of problems people have with believing that is you're telling me there's a good God who's always been good and will always be good, who only gives good gifts. Then how did we get such a messed up world, right? How do we have a, a bad world with a good God who gives good gifts, that's where me and you come into the equation. You see, no matter what you believe, you're going to have to have an answer to that. Why is the world that the way it is? Not believing in God doesn't take away the bad or the evil. But the Bible actually gives a response to why the world is the way it is. It says that God created everything, the heavens and the earth, and everything was good. As he created more and more, he said, that's good. And then he got to the end of it, and he created us, humanity. And he looked out at his finished product and he said, this is really, really good. But then that, that really good only lasts for so long. These two that he places in this garden, in this paradise with him. 
And he gives them everything that they could ever want, but he also gives them free will, a choice. He doesn't demand their love. He doesn't make it an obligation. He lets them choose. And he tells them, hey, you can have all of this, just this one thing you can't have. you got to trust me on this. But we see that uh, these two are deceived by this serpent figure. And what comes out in this conversation with the serpent is the same problem that all of us face that, that's keeping us from the goodness of God. And, and here it is. At the root of all sin is the belief that God isn't who he says he is. If we truly believed he was, if we truly believed he had our best intentions, his motives were pure, then we would, we would follow him. We would trust him. But if you notice with Adam and Eve, that's exactly what the devil did. With a phrase, he didn't come out and say this, but this is what he was trying to get across to be in their minds, that God is a liar. That God cannot be trusted. That his goodness is a facade. And the way that he phrased it, he didn't just come out and say it. It's very subtle. He said, did God really say? And what that did was it created a space there to make them double think. To think back and to say, okay, did God say that? And the devil made them feel like, no, 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 God was exaggerating. God really doesn't mean that. If you do this, that won't happen. And they trusted a lie, and they gave up the truth. And we see that as this happens, the separation between man and God happens, and that rebellion continues to move forward over and over and over again. That's the answer for a messed up world. Not because we don't have a good God. Not because our God doesn't only do good things. It's, it's me and you that messed up the equation. But we also see in this same story that this good God does not give up on his people. That he takes all of his divine character and he chases after them. And even in this messed up, broken world, he says, even with all of this, even with all the sin and all the pain and all the brokenness, I'm so good and so strong that I can even work all of that together for the good of those who love and serve me. And we see him do it. The goodness of God didn't stop in the garden. Look at this. The goodness of God is now seen in the characteristics of God. The biggest one is that God's goodness towards those who are guilty is his grace. He had every reason to turn his back. He had every reason to give up on me and you. But he doesn't. For the guilty, he somehow finds a way to give grace. Because here's the thing that you have to wrestle with. If there is a good God, then he is the standard of good. And his standard is perfection. It is holiness. It is completely righteous. Anything less than that will not count. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not perfect, then you're in, place, you're in a place of judgment. But God in his grace found a way to still reach us. Because a lot of us, when we think about the bad in the world, usually the bad we think about are the people that are a little bit worse than us. We become the standard of good. I'm here and they are just right about there. Then there's some other people that are way, way down here. And there might be like two people better than me, like Mother Teresa and another one. Um, but the truth is there's, there's one that is good, and the rest of us are guilty. But it is his grace that is shown in his goodness. It is his patience that is shown in his goodness. 
because he cannot be in, 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 in the place, he cannot be around sin. So if it wasn't for his grace, none of us would be here. None of us would, have, would even make it past this service because we've already sinned a number of times. But he continues to extend his goodness to me and to you. He's an amazing God. He is a good God. That's what we have to wrestle with, to believe that he really is good, that all the good things that we have in our lives are not because we worked for them, but they're because he gave them to us. And then here's, here's the problem, though. Even if we can get there, if we can believe that God is who he said he is, we can trust him, not to make him out to be a liar so that we can do what we want to do. And we trust that he has given us all of these good things. For a lot of us, our immediate reaction to God's goodness is what do I need to do to be good? What do I need to do? How can I try harder? How can I make this situation good? Here's the problem, if I had to boil it down. The problem is in doing good versus being good. Usually when we hear a message about the gospel, about Jesus, we come in here, our immediate reaction is, okay, I need to do some things now. I need to start with an external behavior that will make me feel better, that will make me feel good. But the truth is we cannot live on that external level. That what Jesus is trying to produce, if you think about it in the sense of fruit, where does that fruit begin? It begins in the soil. It begins in the roots. It comes up through the vine and then to the branches. Then that is when the fruit comes out. But it starts internally. We cannot skip to the external. You know, for me, growing up, I had a blackhead in my belly button for as long as I can remember. I don't know how it got there. I don't know when it got there. But I remember going to my grandparents' house all the time. And as soon as I would walk through the door, my grandpa would say, come over here. Let me get that blackhead out of your belly button. And then he would open up his pocket knife. And obviously, I never went over there for belly button surgery. Um, just a rule of my life that I've had then, I still hold it today, don't go near old men with pocket knives, or any knife in particular. <laughs> so I always kept him at bay, but I always had this blackhead, and it went years and years and years. I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm older now. I'm 17 years old, and I still have this blackhead in my belly. And it, it's enough, I'm ready to get it out. So I do what you do, right? I, I call a doctor, I schedule an appointment. No. <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm 17. I'm practically a doctor myself. And so I start looking around my bedroom, trying to find something that I can use for this procedure. And, and thank God I didn't have a pocket knife, right? But what I did have was a paperclip. <laughs> you don't even know. And so I take the paperclip and I take it from its clip-like shape and I just straighten her out. And I get a straight line, and then I even give it a little bit of hook on the edge there. It's pretty much a scalpel at this point, right? And I go to work. And I give it about a solid two minutes. And I'm, I'm really getting in there, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm kind of hunched over, belly button open, digging, carving. But the TV was also on as well. So I start splitting my time between the show that's on and the surgery I'm performing here. And then after a while, I, I'm not even really paying attention down here. I'm just watching, but I'm really, I'm still digging. And then I keep going and I push a little too hard. And then 
the paper clip goes through my belly button. That gets my attention. So I pull the paper clip out like it's a sword. I'm a little freaked out. So I go to the bathroom to, to see what's going on and I look and I'm examining my work and the blackhead is gone. Job well done. Um, so I'm not a doctor, so don't follow me in the lobby asking you know, medical advice. But I celebrate by taking a nap. Long, hard day in the office, so I lay down. And I wake up, and to my surprise, there's about six-inch diameter around my belly button that is just covered, crusted over, and like pus. I don't think much about it. I get up, I wash it off, just rub it off, and then pretend like, well, that, that's that. I, it doesn't hit me until the next day. I'm at work, I'm at Burger King, and <laughs> this is back in the day. Uh, well, you have the microphone, right? You have to call the order, everything that you're hitting. So double whopper with cheese, no pickle. And the more I start talking, I start feeling these like blisters forming in my mouth. I'm like, oh, that's strange. Still not piecing it together. I just keep working, making more orders. More blisters are forming in my mouth. Like the whole bottom of my mouth is just covered. And then I go to get an order and I pop the bag open and I'm putting the sandwiches in. And I look down and I have all these red blotches and dots just kind of like going all over my arm. That got my attention. So I was like, you know what? I got to go. And I ended up going to the emergency room. I had a pretty nasty internal infection. They had to put me on antibiotics, the whole thing. Why do I tell you that story about my belly button? <laughs> a lot of times when we talk about doing good, we just stay on the surface. We just wipe off what's there and begin with something new. But we never get to the inside. And before we know it, even though we try to do good and we try to keep doing good, and, and all that happens really is just we just get more guilt and feel more shame and try harder and harder, it's because we never got to the inside. We never got to the internal problem that the goodness on the outside could never get to. You know, this was Jesus' biggest problem with the religious leaders and the Pharisees at the time. He says, you guys look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're a mess. Look at Jesus' words. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what Jesus was getting to. He says, you can look the part and you can pretend. And on the outside, it looks like you have it all put together. But on the inside, it's like dead people's bones. And he uses the word hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the opposite of what it means to have integrity. Where integrity is that you're the same person no matter where you are. Hypocrisy 
is you are this person over here and you're a different person over here. There's a different truth that overruns your life. Who you are in public is not who you are in private. And Jesus says, I'm on to you. Just because you're trying to do all the right things, you haven't addressed the inside. And the outside of the cup, outside of the cup is, is, is beautiful and it's spotless. But if you open the lid and you look on the inside, it is filthy and disgusting. Like your belly button may be blackhead free, but there is an infection growing inside of you. And until you deal with that, the goodness of God will never be able to be produced in your life. So that brings us to this spot of, well, then how? How, how to be good? Well, what is it that we can do to be good, to have this goodness, to deal with this internal infection that we have of sin in our lives that can't be settled with just doing more and trying harder? So what can we do? How to be good? You can't be good. You glad you came today? Glad you got up early, got everybody here for some good news? You can't be good. Look at what Jesus said when they, when they asked him about it. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. And look what it says in Romans. No one does good, not a single one. It's when we get brought to this place, and it is an uncomfortable place to be. Because we've all lived with this idea that we could just be better if we tried a little bit harder. And Jesus says it's never going to work because it's not going to get to the inside of the cup. Only I can do a work on the inside. Yeah, you can do some things with your hands. You can do some incredible things outwardly. But until you address what's going on inside, there's no room for my goodness. And if you remember what Jesus said in John 15, he says, let me produce it. He says, remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing good, that is. So what option do we have? Followers of Jesus. This is where we come to a place of humility. Where we come and we, we see ourselves as, as all of this farmland that, that God can't produce and we can't do anything with but all we can do is sign it over to him. All we can do is offer it to him, and he does what he does. He creates beautiful things out of nothing, out of brokenness, that he works all things together for the good. And it is more of him and more of him and less of us and less of us until it is him and him alone within us. That is what it means to abide, to remain, to, to make a home in, to invite God to be a part of all of that. And this is so different, but this is what it means to be good, to stop trying to focus on what we can do, what we can do, and focus on what has already been done. Focus on what he's doing within us, that he wants us to be good, and he will produce that. And that's how we abide in him. We stick close to him. We don't pretend like we can do anything outside of him. We know that this fruit only comes from one place, and it's from him. And what I just want to do with just the few minutes that we have left is, is not to talk about what it looks like to be good or to do good, but just to receive the goodness of God, how we can receive more and more of that. That's how the inside of the cup gets clean. And once the inside of the cup is clean, the outside won't help can't help itself. It has to be clean. All right? So, so here's the first one. 
When you read scripture, ask the question, what does this tell me about the goodness of God? Because if you're anything like me, when you're reading scripture, your mind immediately goes to, how can I use this to be better? How can I use this to be very practical so that I can add something that my life will be different today? I'll become a better person. I will be able to produce the goodness of Jesus. And that's not wrong. I'm just saying the order is wrong. And if we skip this part, we will never really understand the goodness of God. But instead, when I open up God's scripture, and no matter where I am, the first question I'm asking is not what does this have to do with me, but it's who does this say that God is? What does this tell me about the goodness of God, his characteristics? What is he showing me here? Because the more that I know him, the more that I'll trust him. And the easier it is for me to, to know lies whenever they come up and, and surface. Did God really say? Or that God blatantly is a liar. He's holding out of me. No, no, I know his goodness. I know who he is. I know it's in his nature. And I got chapter after verse after book over and over again on his goodness. That's what I'm focusing on. Focus on, on the goodness of God. The second one, ask the question, how did God show me his goodness today? I'm telling you, there's this unbelievable thing that happens when you truly begin to remain in Jesus. That you see and you believe that he is a good God who created all good things and gives good gifts. And as you go about your day, you begin to see things with just so much more joy. You see the goodness even in the little things and in the big things. Like as you go out and you just see a sunset or a sunrise, you're reminded of God's goodness. And you take that in and you thank him for showing that to you. When you're walking by and I don't care who you, who you are, you see just a field of flowers and their color and their beauty. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That's the goodness of God. Then when you're out and you see the mountains, obviously not here, but maybe when you're on vacation somewhere, you're reminded of the goodness of God. Or when, when you see the, the ocean, obviously not here, but when you're on vacation somewhere, <laughs> you begin to see the goodness of God in everything. You see it in your kids. You see it in your friends. You begin to see it at work. You can't help but see it. You know, there's this image that has been burned into my mind, and it was a few years ago. And we were staying at a cabin uh, in Brown County. And it was a cool little cabin. And right next to it has a field, just a big open field. But to get across there, there was this uh, runoff from the creek. Just a little bit of a stream that came through that you had to hop across to get to the other side. I'm talking maybe you know, three or four inches deep, maybe. Just right to the ankles. And as our kids were crossing over, obviously they couldn't just cross over it to get to the field. They stayed. And the longer we stayed there that week, the more time they spent in that water. And it was like the second or third day, I, I, I cut across and I'm turning around waiting for them. And they're just standing there in this, in this murky runoff creek water. But the way that they looked at it was like it was an ocean. Like it was everything. It was the most beautiful thing, the most fun thing they, they had ever seen in their lives. And I felt God just like overwhelmed me. With like, unless you become a child, unless you see things, the world, the way they see this water, nothing will ever be good enough for you. Yeah, I used to think that, you know, good was being able to have like the oceanfront view or being, the, the, to see the vastness of it. And in that moment, God reminded me, if you can't see the goodness in this runoff, the ocean will never be enough for you. 
And I think that goes for every part of our lives. Until we can see the goodness in what God has given us, it'll never be enough. The goodness doesn't come when you get the corner office or the beautiful view. The goodness comes when you sit in your cubicle and you see these little three square foot that you have right here. The goodness doesn't come when, it comes now. Being able to see that and to really just appreciate all that God has given to you. That his goodness can be seen. We just have to look for it and want to see it and believe that this is what he has for us. That's the second thing. And then the third one is this. Ask the question, how can I share the goodness of God with someone today? How can I share the goodness of God with someone today? And like we said, the goodness of God is seen in the characteristics of God. So everything in this study that we've been doing of going from love and joy and peace and patience, when we extend the divine characteristics of God to one another, that is how we show the goodness of God to those around us. And I'm telling you, the more that we follow Jesus, the more he begins to do a work on the inside of us. There's this goodness that just erupts within us. And I remember, I promise you, my life does not go like this all the time, but I have these glimpses. I have these moments of where God speaks to me and he brings me out just a little bit more. He, he lets me experience things that keep me going. And, and there was one day I was just overwhelmed by his goodness. And, and I was pulling out of my driveway and I'm looking at the house and I'm just reminded that he gave this to me. And then I see through the walls and, and I'm just picturing my wife and my kids and the life that, that he saved me from and the life that he's given me and the job and the, everything. And I'm just overwhelmed, just almost emotional to the point of tears that, that I just feel so good that it felt like a sin not to do good. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, I, I, a lot of times we see sin as something we're trying to avoid or the bad thing, like that's what following Jesus is about, avoiding the bad thing. No, this was, this was such a sweet moment of I had no worries about anything bad. All I could focus on was the goodness of God and sharing it with someone. And so I pull out of the driveway and I'm going to this place of goodness. It's called Target. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> amazing, amazing place. And as I get there, I'm, once again, I'm just a little bubbly and I'm overwhelmed. And so I stop and I think, what will help this issue? I'll just get a little caffeine. So I stop at Starbucks and I'm standing there in line. Once again, I just have to do something with this goodness. And there's this lady in front of me. And it's one thing to buy coffee for someone when they're in the car behind you. But when you're there behind them, it's different, right? And if you know anything about me, I'm weird in small interactions like this. I overthink things. But I just had to do something. So I said, hey, can I, can I buy your coffee for you? And then as I say that, I realize, does she think I'm hitting on her? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not hitting on you. I just want to buy you coffee. God's goodness, you know. Um, well, all right, I'm sorry. Um, but it was just, it, it didn't end there. It's, it's like I, I had to encourage. I had to send some encouragement. I had to let people know what I saw. I had to, it, his goodness allowed me to see the goodness in everything else. And I had to point it out. I had to share it. And I'm telling you, God was just showing me like, yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm telling you, this is what life can look like. Not about what you have here on this earth, but what I can produce in you. That I can actually give you the eyes to see things. I can give you a heart of gratitude that will allow you to see the goodness in everything. So who can you share the goodness of God with this week, every day? And then the last one, live a life of daily repentance. If you want to know how you get to the inside of the cup, it's this. 
It's not by doing more things. It's not by scheduling another thing. It's not by trying harder. It always is and always has been repentance. Baptism isn't the only time you clean the inside of the cup. To live a life of daily repentance is simply just to be honest. To wake up and do an inventory of your life, to go before God naked and not afraid and not ashamed and to say, this is who I am, because just throwing it out there, he already knows. But what your honesty allows you to do is open the door to that conversation for you to be real with what's going on inside of you and to be able to point out all of those things, all of that, all those pieces of you that is not farmable for the things of God and to be able to offer them one by one to him and to watch him do a miracle in your life, to produce what you could never produce, to confess all the things that you need to confess and then to repent. Not out, of, not out of anything other than love because you see the goodness of God. You're like, I'm placing this down and I'm turning. And now I'm walking closer and closer to Jesus. That's how we get to the inside of the cup. It is not, will not be done by doing more but receiving more. And the reason this is possible, the, reason, the only reason this is possible is because of Jesus. If you want to know about the goodness of God, then look no further than his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the goodness of God personified. Jesus is finally the one that could live the good life, the real good life, the perfect life. Where all of us have fallen short, he did not. And with his perfection, he went to a cross and he paid for all of our sins. Because if we're going to have a good God, he can't just look left to all of the problems and all of the evil and all of the sin. He has to deal with it, and he did in the form of Jesus on that cross. Jesus died but did not remain dead. He rose. Three days later, he rose showing us that he truly did. He bore all of our sins on that cross so that we could bear the fruit of his spirit, so that we could go from here and share the goodness of God with everyone that we come into contact with. This was God's plan from the garden, and it's the plan with his church to go, to share his goodness with every single person we meet, and if there's anybody here today that this idea of a good God, this idea of a God who wants you and wants to have a relationship with you, we just want you to know that that's available. There's no hoops you have to jump through. I love the way Psalm 34 puts it. It says, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. If that's you, I just want to say, taste and see. Come forward. At the end of service at every campus, we're going to have people up here that would love nothing more than just to talk with you about the goodness of God, to talk about what a relationship with him can look like. And then God can begin to produce that goodness within your life. That's available for you. And for all of us, followers of Jesus, what the world needs now is God's goodness. Not a bunch of hypocrites not people that have to pretend, not people that are just trying really, really hard, but people who have genuinely experienced the life change of God, his goodness, and he has planted that within you. And what we have to do is abide, to remain, 
to be with and watch him do what only he can do. So what I want to ask you guys right now is if you just stand to your feet. We're going to worship. We're going to sing one more song. And as we do, what I, I just want to leave us with this call from Galatians. It's a call to, to not grow weary, to not grow tired, to not think that God's goodness is not available in your life or to think that things cannot get better. Those are lies from the devil. That the goodness of God can always will and can, can be seen and always will be seen. So look at these words from Paul in Galatians. He says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Would you pray with us? God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your spirit. And God, I pray that we could just be done with the hypocrisy, be done with the lies, be done with this idea and this mentality that it's on us to do good and to be good. It's a never win, it's a battle we'll never win. But on the flip side, because of you and your spirit, we can move to a battle we'll never lose. And that's when we come to you humbly and ask you to do what only you can do. God, help us to remain in you. God, we offer our, our lives as living sacrifices. God, I pray that if there's anything within us that is not of you, you would identify it to us and we would get to work on the inside of the cup. And little by little, your spirit would clean it and your spirit would till the soil and your spirit would produce the fruit. And God, we would give you the credit over and over and over again. God, help us to name the lies that we've believed. Help us to know the truth. Help us to see you as a good God, as a good father. God, thank you so much. God, help us to see the world as a gift. Help us to see your goodness even in the little things and especially in the big things. God, we pray that your spirit would produce within us a goodness that this world desperately needs. That your divine character would fill us and God, we would offer it to this world. And over and over again, we take no credit because it is simply the grace of God at work within us. And God, I pray for anyone that has never received this grace, that has ever never known this love and this goodness. God, I pray that they would just taste and see. And God, that their lives could be changed. Let today be that day, God. Let goodness go from here and may it follow us to the end, to the end of our days. Jesus, we love you so incredibly much. It is in your good and perfect name we pray. Amen.